0: Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's Fan Club on Foo Radio.
1: And we're off! It started! It oh. started! Uh, we're, uh, that's Fan Club. We're just talking about how professional we are and uh, <laughs> completely missed the start of the show. And here we are. Uh, my name is Nick. This is Nathaniel Metcalf. And you're listening to Nick and Nathaniel Metcalf's Fan Club on fubaradiocom slash org. Um so um uh first rule of the fan club, tell your friends about fan club. Second rule, of the Fan Club, please. For the love of God, for the love of Mike, tell your friends. If you if you've told all your friends already, uh make some Tell them again, easy- they're not listening. Make some <laughs> new friends, tell them again, tell them again. Um I um, have uh, been on a um, uh, healthy eating kick, um, if that's what you call it, and um, I have just eaten a salad and uh, d- drank very quickly a, p- a bottle and a half of Pepsi Max cherry. What
0: size <laughs> bottle? What size bottle are we talking?
1: Just one of the little ones, 500ml. Oh. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, 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 Absolutely and, in it. I think I'm going to be sick at some point, but I will nevertheless uh, forge ahead and try and uh, deliver two hours of five-star
0: family front-sized fan club. And how, how are you feeling? Are you, do you feel
1: hungry all the time? Uh, no, I feel, I feel really good. I feel really good. As I'm going back to the gym with my mate Kenny, Mm -hmm. um and um i'm just eating uh i've got like a a month until um just under a month until i'm 40 i've lost about a stone and i've got about another stone and a bit to lose before i'm at my preferred ideal weight but my trousers keep falling down so i'm sort of like yep that's great that's good I feel great when my trousers fall down. I don't know about you. I think it was because I always wanted to join a circus. So, so you know, I had to make do as a stand-up comedian because clowning wasn't as big back in 2007. But uh, it's making its way back, I find. And do you
0: remember that? Isn't your personal trainer Kelly, Isn't he like, is he like Dwayne Johnson's stunt double or something? He was, um, he did, I think it was for Hercules, he was
1: Dwayne Johnson's body double.
0: Oh, right. So, um, so when Dwayne Johnson was feeling a bit like, oh, I'm not feeling too good today, could you do it, Kenny?
1: Yes. Well, he's not, oh. as, he's not as bulky, but oh. he is fucking lean, right? Um, but what he is, is um, he's, got the, uh, he's got a very, he's the same height and he's got a very similar um, uh, skin colour. Wow. So they used him for lighting and stuff. So that... Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's, he's... You ever seen that Hercules film? No. They made two, uh, didn't they? They made two yeah. the same. year, two Hercules. There was one that had Dwayne Johnson in, and then there was one that was directed by Rennie Harlan. Oh, really? I don't remember that at all. Yeah, and it was absolute dog dust. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, Yeah, anyway, so it's really nice because, you know, um, there's some, it's really nice to actually just sort of like do So I think that what's happened is um, I put on some weight during lockdown, and then just by kind of doing any exercise and just eating properly, um, all my COVID weight has sort of like dropped off. And now um, I'm at the weight I was before. I don't know if I am, though. I I think I look... A lot skinnier than you look I did different than you did
0: last week. Yeah, started by then. It's I, like, and it's time to. You look physically different.
1: Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? I mean, I can see myself on the Zoom call, and I look and I look different. But um, uh, yeah, it feels good. It feels good. But you're doing loads of uh, exercise as well, aren't you? You're cycling. Everywhere.
0: I've got a bike. I've got a bike, so I'm trying to go. But I'm not doing. I reckon all I'm doing is maintaining whatever current weight I am. I don't really weigh myself or anything. Perhaps I should, but I'm, uh, I'm like, I, I, I do like pretty <laughs> much every day I'll go around the park. And if I'm going somewhere that I don't have any big definite time to get to, if I'm, if I'm just going up, you know, I'll go up the West End or something like that. I'll go on a bike because it doesn't really matter how long it takes, even though now I'm doing it in about, it's about as quick, if not quicker than getting the tube to do yeah. that distance. And um yeah, so that's fun. And I quite like going on a bike. I didn't think I'd like it. Um it's like flying. It's like flying. It feels like you're doing something it's at a different space. It's, it's like you're flying. Going somewhere quickly. Right. I think I've done it since I was a kid. It's it's a genuinely odd experience I find, cycling. It feels slightly
1: otherworldly. Well cycling's like flying a plane, isn't it? You never forget. Hmm. The first that's- time that you flew a bike. (laughs) Something. Something like that. Do you you enjoy it? Because I am absolutely fucking shit scared of bikes.
0: I was scared of doing it, um, and I'm slightly worried at how much I'm getting used to it, and that is a worry that when the fear goes away entirely, I'll be a bit, you know, putting
1: myself in some danger. Yeah. But hopefully. Yeah, I find, yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, told, I've talked about it before, but I was psychologically scarred from a bike incident when I was nine or ten, and uh, I never, never, never went back. Yeah, terrifying, terrifying contraptions. Um, and this, I, I feel the same way about cars uh, as about bikes as I do about cars. I'm um,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: Can you drive?
0: No, never,
1: never You Never even tried to? No, I sort of should have done. But you've never you've never you've never sat behind a wheel, turned on the ignition, and done anything with the pedals. Not in the least. Not in the least. Now, why is that?
0: One of my mates turned 17, I think, and he passed first time, and he got a car, and I was like, great, you can just give me a lift. I don't I don't need to. <laughs> yeah. I think it was like there was like one of my mates could drive. And was like, oh great, sweet, that saves me some money. Uh, And he was the driver. Yeah. And that, you know, and only that was only for a short space of time. I don't really need, you know, I don't need a car in London. I've always lived in London. Yeah. Um, If I live somewhere else, I might have a car. I wish I had a car when I was doing stand up more because then it became a real boar lake. But by then, I think I've got I think I've also got a bit of a fear and I don't want to be as an adult. I don't really want to be in a car with someone telling me how to drive. Sure. I like that kind of a bit, like ah, uh, someone. I'm in a car with someone who knows something I don't know something more than me, and I'd be a bit like, oh, I feel very like. I can imagine I'm just being oh, impatient at someone, but I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're um, I'm sure they're good ones and they're good people.
1: What, the, so you, you, one of the reasons why you don't want to learn to drive is because you think that you're going to kick off at the driving instructor.
0: I kick off! I think they will be like in, infuriated with me not knowing how to do something. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't, I'm not worried about that. I think I have diff. I have a real difficulty. Like um, if you were to go, well, I, I realise this when I'm in the gym, and Kenny will go right, do that to the left. And then I'll have like a, a working out period where I'm trying to work out what my left and right is. Mm. And then, and I'll be confused. Right. So I get confused between my left and right. So when you have to make a decision really quickly about your left and your right, I have like, a, I have thinking time. Yes. right? And, um, and I, I'm, it might be cause I'm left-handed. Um, I know that, um, a, f- a few years, maybe like f- five years ago, um, I, my girlfriend at the time, we went to Brighton Pier and we played on Guitar Hero right and um, and I found that quite difficult, but then um, she bought me like a secondhand Xbox for my birthday, and you can reconfigure it so you can play the guitar upside down and what I learned was that I was actually better. With like the Paul McCartney re strung guitar, like with a you know, on the Guitar Hero with the buttons. Yes. So my right hand was better at doing the fretboard than, and I learned how to play guitar like with a right handed guitar. Um, and I've always had difficulty uh, with the fingering, and um, it's, and, and it was just sort of like, it was like just Guitar Hero. I was just like, do you know what? I would probably be better off if I'd re strung a guitar and I'd have learned how to, I'd have learned how to. Play the guitar better. So you were left-handed, but you didn't know till you were... No, I, I'm always, I've always been left-handed. Oh, right, OK. But I just learned how to play the guitar right-handed. Right, OK. And I, don't, and I, I think it's sort of like... I mean, um, I don't really... I think if you learn one way or the other, it doesn't really matter. But, mm. um, but I think that my right hand is probably a little bit more... It's weird. My right hand seems to be a little bit more dexterous mm. than my left hand. Um, so there's all of that. But when it comes to driving, I get flustered and confused and panicky. I think I've got sort of like... No, said, I have similar things, I think.
0: I think I have a similar thing. Like, I, it's like, I obviously know, but I think I do have that kind of, what is it? Like a, that sort of panicky type thing, I think,
1: when someone's I think, telling me things. I think, it's, uh, I think it's dyspraxia, which is like, like spatial dyslexia. I definitely have that. I have a thing where I, you
0: know, I can't play things like tennis. I can't tell how far a ball is away from me. Uh, I'll often hit my shoulder on um, doorways.
1: Yeah, I'm always walking into stuff. Mm. I'm not, like, clumsy, but, like, in my house, I'll sort of, like, walk into walls and stuff like that. (laughs) And I just think, that is the, that, but, I mean, I've just sort of, like, I've had, but I've had driving lessons, um, not, like, not like proper ones, but my dad took me to sort of like an empty car park on a Sunday morning and stuff. And I was just fucking flustered, panicked. It's not, it's not the best sort of like relationship to have with your dad when, you know, he's sort of like, you know, he, he knows best. And it's kind of like, if you think that the only thing that's uh, stopping you from losing your temper with the driving instructor is the fact that you're strangers. Hmm. If it's your dad... <laughs> it's just like, you go from naught to fucking... Yeah. Tw- you know, do you know what I mean? It's just, you just lose it. He's <laughs> you like like, no, don't... You know, he'd, like, he'd, he'd grab the wheel, and you go, when in the fucking... <laughs> when in any sort of scenario when oh. you're driving is somebody going to be grabbing the wheel off you? And then you just like go, do you know what? Fuck it, I won't bother. And then the years fly by, and then all of a sudden, um, you know... You uh, <laughs> haven't learned to drive. Like like four four years ago, maybe five years ago, I was in um, I was in France and we were my dad took me for like a driving thing um, down a country road and I nearly killed us in like 30 seconds. It was just sort of like I, I went up embankment and I nearly killed it. I was just like, you know what? I don't want to I don't want to learn to drive. I'm all right. I, I think I would be hazardous. I think I would be a danger to other people on the roads.
0: I think, I'd be, I, think I might have a similar thing with like having a personal trainer or something. I don't think I like things where people are telling me what to do.
1: Well, it's not like that, though. Um, not, not, well, I, I know exactly what you mean, right? But I did a, I did a job um, where I met Kenny... And um, he was, I was sort of like interviewing him for something and we got on really well. And then I did that food. I think we've mentioned it like a couple of weeks ago, but we did the food show. I I put on a load of weight. And then as soon as I finished, I was just like, how do I get myself out of this situation? And I just got in contact with Kenya. I was just like, do you want to train me? And I started doing boxing, which I really enjoyed back then. But then I sort of kind of like just really wanted to do it for fitness.
0: Yeah, like um, that you, isn't it? Because you've already kind of established a relationship with someone. Exactly, if like, it, if, like a mate or something. It feels. like... Yeah,
1: well, I mean, we were we we we, we only got, like knew each other for that one day, but we got on really well, and then it was just kind of like right, okay, he's my in into yes. going to the gym. But like, I mean, even because so there's a gym downstairs in the building where I live, and um, even kind of like. At the moment, I think you're only allowed four people in at once, and there's um, there's people in the building that use the gym that are very aggressive, mm. and it's just kind of like. And, and there was a guy that was in the other day; he was just slamming stuff around, like, but just like being completely just sort of like. Anxious. We were there first as well, so it was like. That's the thing. It's kind of a. I mean. It, I I really enjoy going to the gym. If anyone out there wants to sort of like improve their health or anything like that, then I think, you know, don't be put off by the gym. There are other people there that will sort of like intimidate you and make you feel like a bit shit sometimes. And even in kind of like there's four people that are allowed in the gym at once, there's a guy that goes in there, just slams everything around. But you just think it's fucking ridiculous. And, um, uh, and, And I said to Kenny, you know, he's the reason why a lot of people wouldn't go to the gym because of people like that, you know, where it's all about aggression and, and getting it out of your system. Yeah. People but, making noises for no reason. But well, I do. I do when you really get to like, the point where you just don't think you can do it anymore. You just go, rah! Rah! You know, but mine is much more pathetic than aggressive, do you know what I mean? It's more like uh, a was death that. rattle. I think someone's out um, and <laughs> But I just, I don't understand it, you know. I mean, I made a film about it, you know. My my short film, Kill, Killing Machine, was all about kind of like toxic masculinity and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, I made a film about like, people in the gym being like intimidating and stuff right. like that. And, uh, and I just think that, you know, if it's something that you want, you shouldn't let other people sort of, you've no. just got to put it into context. It's like, what if what you get out of it is bigger than what they take away from it, then then do it, and you just sort
0: of like put them out of your mind. Really. Right, and the bike was a bit like that. I'd never done it since I was like nine or ten or something, and thought, I'm not even really sure how to that now, and I'll look foolish,
1: so you don't well, do it. It's public. It's, it's, it's it, you're learning something in public, hmm. right? So um, I slept funny the other week, and I caught like a nerve in my back, and it's still not fixed, really, right? But so I just go in and do stretches, and some of the stretches are just exhausted. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Just from sort of like stretching. And you go, and then there's other people in the gym that are looking at you, and you go, fucking hell. You know, I hope, I hope nobody recognises me off uncle. Do you know what I mean? It's just kind of, it's just in there going, oh god, this is fucking publicly humiliating to be doing a stretch and breaking a sweat. Do you know what I mean? Um, and it's the same with riding a bike. It's kind of like you're doing it in public. People can see you doing it. And you're kind of like self-conscious and you have to kind of like go, yeah, that's the thing about the guy, right? Uh, he's down there and it's like, I'm shit at the gym and um, and he's good at the gym. And it's like, why are you here? You're rubbish, right? But um, I've been hanging around with someone from up north and I've adopted their accent, by the way. Absolutely, you have. I was going to bring it
0: up. It's mental right? But it's also quite a soft northern accent. It's quite Alan Bennett Sure. Well, I was talking to Mother. <laughs> um, no, I mean, so, you're basically that. I mean, in the gym, already. that's it. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to
1: have a cupcake. No, <laughs> 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 <Yeah, well>,
0: that's
1: <laughs> quite white <hench>. um, <laughs> So, But the thing is, it's just kind of like, yeah, I am shit at the gym now, but I will get better, right? And every time you see me I'm shit at the gym right i'm there right, and you're there. I go to the gym when you go to the gym. Do you know what I mean it's kind of like yeah I'm not as good as it, but I haven't been going as long right and It's kind of like and I'm still turning up right because I will improve mean you know it's just like it's the same as I'm just like saying right if you if you get it before we talk about you know um uh, <laughs> John Carpenter and Star Trek. Uh, Just like saying, if anyone out there is listening, it's hard, right? And it's miserable, and I hate going to the gym, but having my friend there to help me is good. And he just doesn't tell me, what to do, you know, he sort of like goes do this. Sometimes I'll go, I'm absolutely not doing that, and then I won't, <laughs> but um, but I'll always sort of like swap it for something else. He'll say, You're gonna do any more We're gonna do some um, some more shoulder work, and I'm just like, Oh, do you know what? My shoulders are fucked today, I'm gonna do leg work instead, right? So you'll swap it for like for like, and if you can't, you know, um, uh, if you don't want a personal trainer or you can't afford a personal trainer, then uh, just go. Going, they've got, like, gym equipment in parks as well. I just think that it's, it's fun, and um, mentally it really helps me. Mm. Anyway, there you go. That's how I feel about that. I hate it, but I, but I like it. I think so, – I mean,
0: I do. I think it's, like, it's definitely a bit of exercise. And I think I do get something out of it. You get some, like um, – I think I quite like – especially when I started cycling – it was sort of real mid-lockdown, and I hadn't really been out anywhere at all and had barely left the house. And as soon as you do go off on it, you go, oh, I feel better just being outside and, you know, getting a little bit of exercise, whatever whatever that is. So I think it does do you good.
1: Yeah. Well, somebody tweeted me, and they said that they were having depression and they were struggling, and they said they went to the doctor and the doctor said, go for a walk. And that, on the one hand, that is shit Mm -hmm. advice because it's kind of like dismissive but on the other hand actually going for a walk does help a lot of the time Mm. so you know there is something in it but what you really want is someone to just listen and help you um but you know anyway um so if you're out there during lockdown and you're struggling you're not alone and um you know do a bit of exercise and maybe that'll help a little bit. I mean, it's, it's not a cure-all, but it certainly helps me deal with it. Helps me deal with it. I'm not like saying it helps me deal with it. Okay, very good. Right. So, um, what have you seen this week, Nathaniel? Seen a bunch of stuff. Seen a bunch of stuff. No, I'll give you a give Do you your... know what? Do you know what, Matt? This is the second week you've seen a bunch of stuff, and I'm very proud of you that you're finally pulling your weight. Thank you very much. Oh, wait, it doesn't feel like I'm putting my weight. It feels, <laughs> it feels
0: like I'm waking my life. Okay. I've seen The Mask,
1: 1994. Oh, it's party time. P-A-R-T-Y. Because I got it. I love Jim care. No, no I fucking... Is
0: it good? You, I, I think what's really good about it that that stops it dating too badly and being too nineties is because even in the nineties it has that sort of twenties Tex Avery cartoon aesthetic, yeah. so it doesn't actually feel like it's got that thing like Dick Tracy has or something. It doesn't feel too nineties. It's quite it's already it's already set itself up to not be contemporary, so sure. it's dated quite well. Sure. But the last the last act is like silly. Like it's, sort of just completely, it's almost like they've got to try and make a, a convincing story out of it when the yeah. first the first two thirds are basically a vehicle for Jim Carrey and that's fine. But at the end of it, it's almost like by trying to make a it's almost like they're trying to make more plot out of it. Uh you've got the thing where the, the bad guy ends up with a mask and things and he has to learn to be himself to and it's all a bit like <laughs> oh. OK, but
1: it's almost like also inevitable. Like, of course, this is how this film ends. Of yeah. The, they've, story of the they, film. they've made it like a family-friendly kids film out of a very violent kind of um, just gory and quite disgusting comic book. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I love I loved the comic book when I was, I, I don't know which one I read. I think I read um, Return of the Mass. Um, but I think that's the one that had the car exhaust stuff in it. Yes. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, like, he, he would sort of, like, shoot people to shreds, and there's just, like, loads of blood in it, and it was, like, really... And then they've gone, oh, so they're not really like for like. They've kind of, like, taken the gist of it, and then they've kind of... And it, it's the Tex Avery sort of style in the comic book. Yeah, a little bit, but it sort of it sort of played up, and I quite like
0: the idea that it's because it's it's what he's obsessed with. It sort of works very well in the film that it's got all these like you almost become more of the thing you are anyway. Yeah, he becomes like a sort of super super Jim Carrey, but his whole thing is he's got like at his house he's just got kind of Looney Tunes memorabilia and Tex Avery videos and. I, mean, I quite like that idea that it sort of you just become a version of who you want to be or
1: an extension
0: yeah. of a bigger version of you.
1: Yeah, I just I I remember I think I, I that was part of Jim Carrey's amazing year, wasn't it? He did Ace Ventura. I think Ace Ventura is '93, but I think over the 12 months hmm. he did Ace Ventura, The Mask, and then Dumb and Dumber. And they all came out within twelve months of each other. I was I, I, at the time as well.
0: I remember it almost seeming weird that like it's almost that I'd never heard of him before Ace Ventura, and it was almost like these other films must have been in production before you know before this came out, and just to have a launch like that where you've basically got three massive movies that are essentially vehicles for your your talent, yeah, come out one after the other, and for them all to be like huge mega hits yeah. like within a year he was like i mean how how much later is table guy is that 97 i think table guy was
1: 96 um which was originally a, a vehicle for chris farley i oh, was it and um for some reason he didn't do it uh, i think they were forcing him into doing black sheep which was the follow up to tommy boy um and so they were like, right, you're doing that instead. And the cable guy was I think was a bit dark. Hmm. So, um, so then Jim Carrey got in and he got paid 20 million for that. 20 million. And, yeah. And it's kind of like you go, right. So he did three films in a row. And also, you know, Ace Ventura, Courtney Cox was in Ace Ventura, and then Friends started the same year, I think. And so when Friends was being advertised, Courtney Cox pops up, and you go, oh, that's that woman out of Ace Ventura. I had such a massive crush on her in Ace Ventura. Um, so when Friends started, I watched it because Courtney Cox was in it, and it, it, I I sort of feel like the original series of Friends, the first one, is like a vehicle for Courtney Cox. I like, thought,
0: but probably because, like you say,
1: she was the only one I knew. Yeah, but it's kind of like it's kind of like it's her, it's her flat, hmm. and it's the two guys that live over the road from her, yeah. and her brother, and she's sort of like, and then Rachel is her friend. And this, it is the six of them, but it's kind of like she is the thing that holds them all together. And um, uh, in that first se- season, before it kind of like found its like legs, there's all like um, her working in a kitchen and then she has a different guest star sous chef every week that's kind of like... Uh, that someone off another sitcom, and they're sort of like cross-pollinating all the other sitcoms. I know that in one of the... I don't know if it's the first series. It's probably the first series. I know that Leah Thompson appears in it as Caroline from Caroline and the City, and the, uh, George Clooney and ER. And I think it was all kind of like... Um, it was all kind of like whatever the Friday night lineup was, and it's just kind of like we're cross-pollinating it with people from different shows. And, um, and they sort of did that. But I think, yeah, like, certainly... Towards the beginning of the season, it was kind of like, this is Courtney Cox and she works in a restaurant, and this is her colleague that works with her, and they dropped that like straight away. And it's like you had Elliot Gould as a,
0: a dad, and he was like a regular. You know, he wasn't like a kind of occasional guest star; he'd be in it.
1: I mean, that, sh- that show's crazy because like Bruce, because it, it's weird because it felt at the time like it was almost it was. I really liked, I really liked some, I like Friends. I I grew up and I love Friends. I watched it every week um, and I went around my mate's house to watch it. You know, it was like event TV. And then I I was obsessed with it. I watched it all the time, right up until the last episode. And then it stopped and then I never thought about it ever again.
0: (laughs) I Um, love it. It's, um, but I never got to the end of it. Like there's definitely a period of Friends where people talk about it. And it's obviously just like,
1: didn't see those ones. I think from my memory, the best season was season nine. Um, And that was the one where Paul Rudd came in as uh, Phoebe's boyfriend. And he was absolutely incredible. Paul Rudd was amazing in Friends. And then when the 10th season came along, they were all kind of like, right, this is the last season and this is our show. So everyone else, like Paul Rudd, everyone else got sidelined and it was just like, No, it's about us. And we're not letting anyone else have any of the laughs, it's just us. And you go, Fair enough, it's your show. Um but it was a shame because Paul Rudd was so good in season nine. Um yeah, it was just um yeah, it was just, uh, I, I really I, I really liked it. Oh yeah, but so it's stuff like Bruce Willis came in and played sort of Rachel's boyfriend and he was in, like, three episodes, and he got an Emmy for it. Like, for just turning up and doing three... And it's kind of like... This is sort of like Saved by the Bell, only a little bit more sophisticated. But it's not much more sophisticated. At its worst, it was on a par, even. And then at its best, it was actually quite, you know... Um, it, it was quite good, but... Um, yeah, but I remember to, it, though, like, almost... I
0: think now it's one of those things that's very fondly remembered. I remember it at the time being one of those things where it wasn't seen as cool at all and people would be quite snidey about it. And I remember going, no, it's better than what you think it is. It's a much better,
1: it's a much sort of better written sitcom than people that who are quite
0: snide about it.
1: That was what I always said. I always said, I just think the writing's really good. Like, not always, like, like but I think that season nine was such a strong season. And I think season two was a strong season and then season three wasn't quite as good. And then it would flip like that. Like, there'd be a really good one, and then there'd be kind of like one that's good. But the writing was always good. And also, the cast was incredible. And I think those people, they're obviously set for life, because those people are so beloved by, like, an entire generation of people. That, you know, murder mystery. Like Adam Sandler made a murder mystery for Netflix, and it's the most watched film that Netflix have ever made. And it's not 100% because of Adam Sandler. It's like, people fucking, people love Jennifer Aniston. And, um... Yeah, it was a really good cast. And I just think, and I would, hand on heart, just think that David Schwimmer's kind of like the best of the bunch. I think he's absolutely incredible. Because he could do everything. He could do, like, the romantic stuff. He could do the heavy lifting. He could do the dramatic stuff. He could do physical comedy. I mean, he was, he, was, he was brilliant, right? Some of the seasons when he was, like, having a breakdown and stuff were sort of like they pushed the the limit of believability. But when it all clicked, like... Yeah, it was brilliant. It was a great show. But anyway, so Ace Ventura, Someone's Time of the Mask. The last time I saw the mask, I think, um, oh, maybe 20 years ago. Me too. Exactly the same. It's and funny. I just... I, I remember... Because the cause the, um, the, gangster plotline is serious. Hmm. Do you know what I mean it's like it's the, 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 because it, but it's a PG so it's sort of toothless at the same time but they don't play it for like laughs it's kind of like yeah these are these are proper this is like a, it's, it's a straight movie there's a
0: couple then, of nice bits of it that are just sort of quite surprisingly well done and sort of like rug pulls like where it introduces the kind of you know you've got Cameron Diaz who's introduced as kind of like the bad girl who's like the gangster's mole. And then halfway through, you're introduced to the good girl, who's the one like, oh, right, that's who it'll end up with. And it doesn't end up the way you would imagine it would. Yeah. And that's quite a nice rug pull for a movie that's quite straightforward and quite... And I'd forgotten about that entirely. I was like, you know, I just sort of assume the plot line would go exactly how they're setting it up to make you think it's going to go. And it is. It's just like... But it does. It's like it it's better than it needs to be partly because Jim Carey sort of knew and obviously hungry and is really putting a lot into it um the aesthetic of it really works still and doesn't look dated even though like you can tell like it's not made on a huge budget but it's still like because it's made that choice early on that it's going to have a style to it it looks better than a lot of things from that era especially comedy films, you know,
1: they they sort of feel like they're very much in their era. But that's sort of what I mean about it in terms of the comedy. It's kind of like um, it's a straight film that's got a comedic performance in it, okay. you know? Like, he's, like, even even at the beginning before he's the mask and he's fucking around in the bank and he's pretending, like, his tie is his tongue, all of that stuff. You go, yeah, right, he's sort of like being... A, a, it's, I just find it tonally a bit weird, where it's kind of like, it's not as funny as you think it is, because there's so much straight stuff in it. Hmm. And then, I don't know, I, I remember I really liked it at the cinema, and I remember when I watched it on video, I was just sort of like, okay, it's not as funny as I remember it, and all that. But, do you know what, I'm not going to be a dick about it.
0: It's uh, like it's not, it's, And it's not like, you know, it's not something that's a great, great movie. But there's lots of things about it which are good and were... Smart at the time that feel like it's it stood the test of time better than I might have imagined it would. I
1: think it was probably my favorite of the three. Mm. Like, so what he would have done, those three, then he would have done Batman Forever, then he would have done The Cable Guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. but it's um, remarkable
0: that from those three films, but to have a within a year, um, three massive hits that at the end of it, you are now you know, you're. Uh, one of the highest paid people in in Hollywood.
1: Equal yeah. highest, right, at the time. And they would have been making them independently of each other without realising that he was a huge megastar while he was making them. You know. Yeah. And it's like so. when the mask
0: came out, the producers must have been going absolutely brilliant because now he's the big star off of Ace Ventura, and yeah. that kind of rolled onto Dumb and Dumber.
1: Yeah. And, but, and also, I just remember it's got one of my it's got one of my favourite. Uh, jokes in it where he's in prison and he it, it gets the dog Milo and he's like go get the keys get the keys and then Milo gets like some cheese and he goes <laughs> that the cheese the keys and it's like it's it, it's asking you to believe that the dog has got the same kind of <laughs> names for the stuff that we call stuff and he's misheard keys for cheese. But I just think it's really sweet. I think it's really funny. Um, yeah, uh, let's play a song and then we'll uh, we'll talk some more.
0: Nick and Nat's fan club on Fubar Radio.
1: And we're back! We're back! We're back in we're back in the barracks. So the um, <laughs> uh, boys are back in the barracks. Partridge. So, um, what else have you seen this week, Nathaniel?
0: Gosh, what what have I seen? I have seen um, uh, Five Bloods. Oh yeah, because Chantreit Bozeman died. This yeah, week. I, and I I fancied watching something with him in, and that had been on my Netflix list since it since it came out, and uh, it's all right. It's not it's not an amazing film by any means, but what's what you do get from it is it's such a film that. Like, as you're watching it, the aspect ratio is changing and chopping as you're watching it. And you think it's obviously made for the cinema, but he's someone who presumably has to go to Netflix now to get funding. And so there's this thing that's obviously it's, meant to be... of Spike Lee, right? Yeah, Spike Lee. And you just get the impression while watching it, like, this isn't how you're meant to watch this at all. And it felt like, you know, if this was the kind of thing they were doing odd screenings at somewhere, or... You know, maybe it's just because of the lockdown, maybe that was meant to happen. But when you're watching it, it's like, I'm not watching the film. And that, and, he, and he sort of, my brain kind of checked out at that point when you kind of realise whatever's meant to be happening, whatever you're meant to be getting from this, you're not because it's obviously telling you things in its. Do you think they released it on Netflix because of COVID? Yeah, I mean it's a Netflix made thing. I'm sure he's given up the idea of. I think it's like Scorsese, you know, trying to get The Irishman made, and eventually um, Netflix put the money for it. But in in Mike Scorsese's mind, he's got print of it that he can play
1: in his. But thing. I don't I don't understand the aspect ratio really, thing because the uh, the Transformers film. I I don't watch Transformers films, but I watch something about the Transformers films. I won't watch the films, but I will watch someone on YouTube talking about the films. And they were talking about the aspect ratio, and that changes within the same scene. Within, okay. with, like, uh, from sh- in, a, in a dialogue scene, from shot to shot, the aspect ratio will change, where it's so distracting that it just gives, it's just an extra element of the Transformers movies that gives you another migraine, you know. And I don't, understand, I don't, I don't quite understand. I know Christopher Nolan does it a lot, because he... Um, uh, well, with Dark Knight, he, you know, he was flipping in between um, IMAX and, um, uh, well, just regular cinema
0: screens. One of the Mission Possibles does that. I think it's the fourth one. I went to see it in IMAX, and that's like, some bits suddenly go full full length. Is that the Brad Bird one?
1: Yes, it's that one. It's that Is one. that the one when he goes to Dubai and he's on the building? I think it is that one, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that was, there was bits of that that were filmed uh, for IMAX. uh, Because it was just like the tallest building in the world, wasn't Mm. it? And he's on the side of it. God. (laughs) I mean, we've definitely talked about it.
2: (laughs) It's just like,
1: (laughs) Bing Ring, Simon Pegg, and uh, Tom Cruise, all in a hotel room in the world's tallest building. Uh, Well, one of us has got to go out there. And then Pegg and... Ving Rhames look at Tom Cruise, and Tom Cruise just goes, Oh, no. Oh, no. Not me.
2: Not me. Oh, no.
1: Ah. And the next thing, you know, he's hanging off the of the building, and you go, You fucking produced it, mate. It's just the most fucking... <laughs> it's so weak. But, it would have been funnier if it cuts
0: to Ving Rains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Rames, um, bless him. He's, he's great. I love him. I genuinely think he's great in everything except that last mission impossible film is like cuts of him like where he's not even running as the others start running and he's running with them it sort of cuts he sort of enters the side of stage like okay i'm here as well and it's like (laughs) you can't even see him running in films oh oh well
1: oh well um yes um yeah, I like I like that Mission but yeah, sure. So the Five Bloods, um, yeah, it's definitely on my list. It had like it had huge reviews, and especially because Chadwick Boseman died. I mean, um, it's weird, isn't it? Because um, it, it, it's awful, awful news. Um, but I'm you know I'm not a Marvel fan,
2: hmm.
1: so it's, it's this happens every time someone famous dies, is that their picture will be on Twitter and Facebook and I scroll past it because I will just assume that they're making some sort of announcement about a project that they're doing. And then someone will say something, you know, six hours later and then the penny will drop and I'll be like, Oh God. And that's what happened with, with yeah. that. I was like scrolling by and at no point did I kind of like just automatically assumed that because there were all these photos of him everywhere that it died. And then you, you know, I th- oh, it was really sad, really sad. Um, but yeah, and I and I wanted to sort of like watch something this week with them in. But um, I'll, I, and I like Spike Lee as well. that um, yeah, it's quite an interesting one because
0: it's his appearance in it. He's very much a supporting character, and in fact, it's not spoiling anything. His character—it's all people with <laughs> Vietnam who were there when they were young. Sort of like a heist film. Sort of, yeah, yeah. They are looking for uh, they're looking for gold in Vietnam. So they're ex kind of um, Vietnam soldiers who go back, and Chadwick Boseman only appears in flashback because um, uh, because his character dies in Nam. So you kind of know he's dead at the beginning. Right. So going into it is also quite a weird thing to watch when you uh, you go oh yeah he's just dead. Hmm. You know, watching a film where he's referenced all the time as being this even within the film he's this like hmm. icon of someone who who died young and they've all grown up and got older and they're going back to where they were all together.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> um, so I watched something that sounds like it's quite similar to The Five Bloods this week. What have you watched this week? I watched Peter's Friends. <laughs> yeah. um, which is about, you know, a, a young group of friends that um, that go through th- <laughs> the trenches of...
0: It's uh,
1: yeah. Of musical review theatre, and then uh, meet up ten years later, only to find out one of their, oh, spoiler alert, friends is dying. Um, uh, yeah, fucking hell. So I, one of the best films you've ever seen in your life. I think it's the worst film I've ever seen. Um, I think it is. It's, it's up there. It's, um, uh, do you know what? The person that comes out of it the best is Tony Slattery. Um, but he's got sort of like a thankless role, but none of the, every single character is an absolute cunt and every single person that's acting, uh, is throwing in a performance from their own imagined uh, production. It's like none of the performances match each other. They're all kind of, Emma Thompson is good, but her character is annoying. Like the uh, time when it came out, I remember going,
0: "Oh, I love all these guys from Thing." When I saw it, it made me think,
1: "Well, is this what you're all really like?" Because I don't like any of you anymore. <laughs> it was um It's uh, yeah. It's it's. Um, I think it's the, yeah. I think it's the worst film. Um, but someone tweeted me about sliding doors, and I think sliding doors is not the worst film ever made. I think Sliding Doors has... It's so on the nose the way they set it up, but it's got an interesting premise. Do you know what I mean? They haven't done, like, that magical uh, realism thing like Groundhog Day does, where... um, there's this thing that's happened and it's unexplained. They literally have made two films with different scenarios happening. In them. So it's kind of like, it's kind of like an, it's, it's a nice idea for a thing. What if you just do one thing different and it changes your whole thing? It changes your whole life. A good, like people
0: refer to sliding doors as being a thing where two different, your life can go in two different directions. So it's like entered the, the kind yeah. of national consciousness, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think as a, as, a, as a setup for a film, it's it's a nice idea. And um, I think Gwyneth Paltrow. I was just thinking, Gwyneth Paltrow's got like a terrible reputation for for herself, but you, you just think about all of the films she's in, and um, I just like all of the films. Yeah, mm. I think she's great in Seven. Um, I think she's great in Great Expectations. Did you ever see Great Expectations? No, uh, it was Ethan awesome. Hawke. It was like a modernised American remake. Um, it was Ethan Hawke, Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert De Niro. And I just remember seeing it at the cinema when it came out. I think my mum and my sister were going to the cinema and I just tagged along. And I didn't like, have a say in what we were watching. Just went to see it. And it's just beautiful. I think it's directed by the same person that directed uh, A Little Princess. Did you see that? No. That film, right... Consider it's called, uh, it's either called The Little Princess or A Little Princess. That film, considering it is pretty much, it was like a Warner Brothers thing, like Secret Garden, and it was sort of made for little girls. That film is fucking incredible, right? If you've got kids, uh, you should definitely watch The Little Princess. It's just a beautiful, stunning film. It's just great. And I think the person that did that, that went on to do Great Expectations. And that film's great. Gwyneth was great. And uh, this week uh, I watched uh, The Royal Tenenbaums. Oh, yeah, yeah. Now, um, I think that that is my favourite film of all time. Um, I, I sort of like, hesitate a little bit because I don't want to be kind of like one of them hipsters that just loves everything that Wes Anderson does. But, um, I, I just think Royal Tenenbaums is absolutely incredible. It's, I, I think, and I watched Bottle Rocket as well. So I watched Bottle Rocket, which was Wes Anderson's first film. And that's really funny. And it's so well observed. And Owen Wilson, um, wrote it with Wes Anderson. And he wrote those first three. So he wrote Royal Ten, he wrote, um, uh, bottle rocket and then he wrote rushmore and then he wrote royal tenenbaums and then he had a bit of a wobble and um uh wes anson wrote life aquatic with Noah a back was it yes and uh, which is it's is confusing because i think Noah Taylor's in it um so i yeah i get confused between the no my favorite um i just i i think that it's um it's like it's see I I uh, can't stand Darjeeling Limited and I've never got all the way through Fantastic Mr Fox. I liked Grand Buda Post Hotel and I'd probably say it was my second favourite. Meh, no, Bottle Rocket's incredible. I've never really loved Rushmore. I think it's I think it's good, but it's not or it's never it's not the film. I think that uh, the thing about Life Aquatic is like it stars Owen Wilson and I love Owen Wilson and it stars Owen Wilson and. Um, uh, he's in it, but I I just feel like it, the film lacks the heart that he brings to stuff like Royal bombs. And I've got to say that I just think Luke Wilson is just one of the best actors. I think he's incredible. I think he's tremendous. It's interesting, though, because I don't... I think
0: part of what I like about Life Aquatic is Owen Wilson and how much I am involved
1: in his story. I'm totally... Totally sold on it. So it's I interesting. Never, yeah. I never, I never felt like I could. I know he's meant to be distant, and he's meant to sort of like be suffering from like a depression, um, and so he's sort of like, um, it, it sort of fits the thing. It fits the, it fits the film. But um, Luke Wilson in uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. I mean, I, that it just had me crying all the way through it. I just thought the bit went, oh god, I just just, you know, the, the bit. I know the bit. And it, like, I was, I've had, I've had a tough time the last few years. And um, yeah, just, and I haven't seen it. So so when, when it came out, it came out in 2001. And I saw it in February, 2001, at um, uh, the Screen Cinema in Winchester. And um, it was the second best independent cinema in the country. And uh, I think it was like a Saturday night. I saw Royal Tenenbaums by myself. I came back and I was just buzzing about it. I came back to our, um, our flat, our shared house. And I was just like, just, just going on and on about it. And um, then the next day, my friend was really into Lord of the Rings and we watched Fellowship of the Ring, which was three and a half hours long or however long. And then we left. And I was just like, yeah, It's fine but I bought a ticket straight away to go and see uh, Royal Tenenbaums. So even though I'd just been sat down for like three, three and a half hours, I just went straight back in again to watch Tenenbaums. And yeah, just, I loved it. And then I went back to see it on the Monday, but they weren't showing it anymore because, um, they'd bought it out for a limited time. So it was BAFTA um, eligible. And, um, uh, and so I, I was, what? so I must've been 20 when I first saw it and, um, I've had, I'm, you know, I'm 40 soon. I've had that amount of time since the first time I saw it to now. And I'm watching it again on the other side. You know, they, all those guys were in their 30s when they made it. Um, and uh, I was 20 and I'm looking up to like, this is what the future is. And now I'm almost 40 and I'm looking back and I'm like saying, well, I've, I've gone through that, that part of my life. And it's sort of like, it's the sort of film that um, has resonated differently with me. And I don't. And I, try, I watched Army of Darkness a hundred times, and I've ruined it for myself, right? I will always love Army of Darkness, but I can't watch it with the same uh, enthusiasm. Whereas I drip feed myself all 10 bombs because I don't want to ruin it. And there's always something new to to. to noticing it and I, I've been watching like Gene Hackman stuff recently because um, I th- you know I, I think that he's I watched No Way Out with Gene Hackman in it and I think that um, and then I watched Runaway Jury which I think is actually one of the worst made films I've ever seen for a time right. I
0: was going to see anything it's funny that like Gene Hackman is one of those actors who has just retired just retired when yeah, retired,
1: he retired in 2004 and now yeah. he write, he writes westerns he writes cowboy books. Oh, that's quite fun. And historic novels. So he's still around, but um, <clears throat> but he's retired, yeah. <clears throat> but he retired like 16 years ago. Yeah.
0: And I think there was a, like, whatever it was around that time, I remember going, God, I love Gene Hackman. I'm going to watch every Gene Hackman film. And then mm. did. And there was only a few more. And it yeah, just, right. just finished. And you, amongst those, you would see some quite bad movies. But he was always... Terrific
1: in them. He's like, he's so good in everything. Yeah, he's brilliant. he's brilliant. You know, really difficult person to work with by all accounts, but I mean, he's really good. Have you ever seen the film Scarecrow? No, I don't know it at all. No, I'd never heard of it until last week. It's about it's Gene Hackman and Al Pacino, and they're um, sort of like hobos that um, go cross country together, and it was made in 1973, in between the Godfathers. And, um, yeah, it's it, that, I, it's really fucking depressing, but it's a really good film. Anyway, we're going to do fan mail. Um, so, if you don't mind, Brian. All right, mate, how's it going? Right, here's your fan mail this week.
2: Films are better than the book. Short stories tend to work better as films, such as Brokeback Mountain, AI, Shawshank Redemption, The Birds Minority
1: Report, and The Fly. And is Running Man a short film? It's part of the Batman the Backman, the Richard Backman uh, short stories that uh, Stephen King wrote under his pen name Richard Backman, is is Running Man. I think yeah, I think Running
2: Man does count as a. Uh. As one of his shorts, actually. Yeah, I think you're right there, Nick. Well done for bringing that up. I was wondering if Nick's sleep finally got better. I found when I quit booze, it took four weeks to sleep normally. Thanks for the podcast and for introducing me to Deep Red and Tommy Boy Matthew. That's the fucking show. Yes.
1: Finally, somebody watched something that we talked about. Brilliant. Deep Red, happy birthday. That's my fucking gift to you, you fucking legend. Um, And it was Nathaniel's gift to me. Um, absolutely. Wonderful. And Tommy Boy. Yeah. Fucking hell. That's maybe my... That and... T- ten above. <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> Hi guys! I watched something the other day that I think right up your street, it's called Live from the Space Stage. It's a documentary about Halux... Uh, pronounced
0: Halux.
2: Oh, pardon me there, Christopher. It's a documentary about Halux.
0: <laughs> pronounced Helix?
2: Unbelievable that you missed Who <laughs> a Star Wars inspired rock group who performed at Disneyland during the eighties. It's available to watch on YouTube for free. Love the show, Barry Hines. Do you know what Barry? I'll certainly be checking that out. Oh, I
1: will actually as well, Barry. Yeah, sounds great. I'd love to hear your opinion on it, Brian.
2: Oh, I'd love to give it. Hey, Nick and Matt. Hey, Nick and Nate! I am 22! I have always had access to the Internet. Do you guys have a first memory
0: of being on a computer? Did you have memes back then, Tyler? Yeah, I remember the first time I went and used the Internet. It's yeah. mental. But even the idea of, I was on computers, Tyler,
1: before the Internet was on them. Yeah, I've, I've always had a, had a computer. I used to load up stuff on my uh, Spectrum ZX. ZX Spectrum. I think I had a He-Man, Master of the Universe game, and a Ghostbusters game, and Hunchback of the take about ten minutes to load, wouldn't it? ten minutes to load. <laughs> uh, but the first time I went on the Internet, um, I, Goog- I I didn't Google, I went on Ask Jeeves, and I asked Jeeves... Uh, ...about Bruce Campbell, and I printed out um, his entire <laughs> filmography. That's what I did.
2: OK. Hi, guys, it's September. You know what that means? Christmas is coming! Is there anything you'd like? Are you working on your list, Rich?
1: No, I've got everything I need. I've got more than I need. Um, I'd like world peace. How about you, Nathaniel? I'd like an end to all this Covid. I'd like an end to this Covid, too. Hmm. And I'd like people to start being nice to each other again. I like the beginning of lockdown. And also... <laughs>
0: I'll look at some of these, uh, boxes that are coming out, probably and I'll have a couple of them as well. Maybe I'll
1: get another hardback book about Cop that I'll never read.
2: Yeah. What's up, guys? Just wondering if you had a favourite sauce, or a ketchup?
1: Yeah, I'm a big fan of, um, ketchup. I'm a big fan of holy fuck sauce. Uh, the, my God, it's... The, it's hot, but it's the most delicious fucking sauce ever. If you can buy it, buy it online. It's brilliant.
2: Hi, guys! You know what I don't get about the Mandalorian? Why bother casting such a handsome lead in Pedro Pascal if he's just going to be wearing a helmet all the time? Natasha, P.S., for the love of God, get him on the show. Well,
1: we'll do, we do our very best. Um, yeah, we'll do our very best. Yeah, we'll... we'll certainly try. But also, uh it'll never happen. Uh but... <laughs> but also, that... it's that sort of thinking, yeah, that leads to, uh, mistakes happening with Judge Dredd, okay? So, just be careful what you wish for, all right? Um Okay, but although The Mandalorian wasn't a pre-existing character, so, you know, he could have taken his helmet off and no-one would have been upset about it. I've not watched The Mandalorian yet, um, I've heard it's good, but my heart aches every time I think about Star Wars. Um,
2: Hi guys!
1: People in London
2: always make fun of me when I recount a childhood memory of the man in the fruit farm handing me a Satsuma or a tomato as a free treat. Is this weird? Is this is an exclusively West Country thing, Bill!
1: How many people in London laugh at you when you talk about a man giving you a free satsuma? How yeah, many people? I, I imagine it's quite a nice memory. I think... I don't know... I don't know why people are laughing at you, but I also... I don't... I, I, I don't... I don't buy it. And I don't think it's a London thing. Um, uh, look, you just have your... Like, oh, yes. You know what I find weird? Somebody giving you a tomato. I can understand a free
0: Satsuma.
1: Sure. But giving someone, like, a free tomato, I find... I find that weird. But, you know, that's just me. Have we done all the fan mail? Yeah. Well, let's play a song, then, and get a guest on! Club on FUBAR Radio. Oh, OK. Uh, um, we're back in the studio. We're not in the studio. I'm in my living room. And that's in his living room. Welcome back to Camp COVID. we have joined in the studio. We're not in the studio. Live. We're not live. Uh, it's pre-recorded. <clears throat> we're joined now by Stu Whiffin. Um, hello, Stu. How are you doing?
3: I'm good. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. How are you? Are you all right?
1: Yeah, really good. Thank you. Um I had the pleasure of doing your podcast off the beaten track. Uh was when was it? Was it this year?
3: It was, beginning of the year. I reckon February well, I reckon it was probably about January.
1: Yeah, oh, right. Um it little was a did you know, Little did you know what was gonna oh, happen in oh, the year ahead. Eh? You were so wide eyed and innocent back then. Um uh, but yeah, that's I really yeah, I love doing I love doing your podcasts and uh, so thanks for having me on that. Uh, it was
3: an absolute pleasure i got to kind of it's, it's really weird when you start talking about records that that, that really sort of matter to people you kind of get a real measure of them it's right interesting you know and yeah we went in on on some some great records it was uh, it was a, it was a good natter, mate
1: and we also uh found out that um uh the, did you used to run the pink toothbrush in south end i still do you still do right mm. yeah so my mate um, my mate ollie you know ollie yeah. Yeah. So my mate Ollie uh, used to sort of like, um, I don't know, did he DJ there?
3: He might have DJed like once or twice there, but we had another little night in South End that we used to sort of work. It was me, him, and a and, a, and, a, and another guy that we know, um, uh, a, a stand up uh, kind of musician type character. And, and the three of us uh, put a night on together in, in South End. Who was that? Uh, that's, I don't even know if I'm allowed to swear on here. I'm in the only <laughs> guy. Yeah, Cunt and the Gang. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah you're allowed to swear. <laughs> okay, so that was Wayne, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I was gonna, I was gonna bring up Cunt and the Gang next, actually. Yeah.
3: <laughs> um, how would you describe Cunt and the Gang? Um, how, how would I describe them? A, a one-man kind of. Imagine if you kind of sat, sort of put, kind of plinky plonky 80s synth pop behind stories from Viz. I think. That's, quite, and throw a bit of carry-on in there, and I think you're pretty much there.
1: Yeah, okay, that's probably the best way. I've never thought about it in terms of Viz, but as soon as you say Viz, it gives it like a context, which is actually quite accessible. Yeah. Uh, acceptable. Yeah. Like, you go, oh, yeah, it's like Viz. Oh, yeah, it's fine. Because I had a friend, uh, my friend, I don't know, oh, I'll just say it. I've got a friend, my best friend, John, uh, I was best man at his wedding, and his wife, Megan, and we all went on holiday and we, I listened, you know, I made everyone listen to Cunt and the Gang. And we all had a real great time listening to Cunt and the Gang on holiday. And then when we got back, she had a dinner party and there was like a lull in conversation. And she was just like, I'll play some Cunt and the Gang. And she did. And they don't talk to her anymore. <laughs> it was so, they were so offended by it. And you kind of like go, it is a gamble, isn't it? It's kind of like you go, uh... Are they ready to listen to? It's cut kind with of a K, like cool and the gang. Yeah, but it's just I like seen, I think
0: you might have taken me. The old bunchers went one Edinburgh to see them in like a, a small room in one of the small rooms, and I remember there was like a warning that was like, "You might like this, or you might hate it." Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I've no idea, and I loved it, and I yeah, sort of I... annoyed that people go, "Why wouldn't I like this?"
3: It's it's really weird that you mentioned calling the gang because for a while, if you went to the official calling the gang website, there was like a little addendum on the homepage that it wasn't cunt in the gang, which I thought you've kind of made it then.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, calling
0: cool the gang, they've become the the main draw.
1: Well, I, <laughs> I remember in I remember in 2010 when um uh, I had my first like good year in Edinburgh. Um, I knew I'd made it because uh, Daniel Kitson came on the same day as my drama teacher and Cunt and the Gang. And I was on stage. And I was going, that's my drama teacher who, who thought I was shit. That was, <laughs> that was, uh, that's Daniel Kitson and uh, that's Kant and the Gang. And I just thought, fucking hell, what a, what an audience. Um, you know, it's like, like whole the full audience. gamut. <laughs> Say again? That wasn't the whole audience, though. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't busy. It was like it was near the beginning yeah. of the month. So It was just like, oh, but you know you've made it when uh, Kitson and Cunt both turn up on the same day. Um, yeah, so you still run the pink toothbrush. Um, mm. how, how's that?
3: Um, it's been uh, well. It's been pretty quiet for the last sort of five months, really, Nick. Um, mm-hmm. And it's it's just weird, mate. It's you know we, we we've just started to kind of consider the concept of. Maybe putting on some stand-up, um, or maybe putting on some live podcasts that we can do sort of socially distanced, seated. But we don't own seats, you know. You, you, you've been in there; it's a it's a dirty, smelly indie rock club, and uh, but it's got a, a gigantic stage in there, and and yeah, it's just strange. We can't open it as a club at the moment, which is such a shame. Um, but you know, as soon as we're told it's it's safe and sound, we can, you know, we will reopen. But I think. All the time, there's restrictions in place. You know, without getting too sort of boring about it, we're just worried that we're going to get sued. Someone's going to come in and catch something, and then, you know, before you know it, we're we're being sued by someone. So it's like, right, let's let's look at what we can do. But you know, in regards to you know playing rock and roll music, you know, turned up to ten for for loads of sweaty indie kids. I can't see that happening this year, mate. Not at all this year. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, as as a stand-up, you've obviously seen a very similar sort of thing as well. Do you know what I mean? It's like no one's. I mean, you know, I'm seeing now some stand ups starting to happen again. I'm seeing people in like pub gardens and stuff and, and and stuff like that happening. But yeah, I've not I've not seen like anything that makes me think a nightclub's going to reopen and and you know people are going to go crazy again.
1: No, and I also feel like these are tentative steps that people are taking in preparation for just being shut down again. Yeah. I I feel like if anything that does happen this year, it's not going to be permanent. And it's just, I don't know, it's just it's weird, isn't it? It's just such a weird time. Because it's difficult to even know what we're meant to be doing just kind of like on a daily basis now. It's kind of like when it was lockdown, you're all locked down, you're all staying in. It's like, good, I know where I am there. I can deal with that. Right? I'm not leaving the hat, but now it's kind of like you look around and people do not give a fuck. It's just kind of like you go, well, what are we doing then? Yeah, What's... yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it. But that's all the COVID stuff. But you know, we are you are you Southend born and bred Stu?
3: No, no, I I don't actually live in Southend. I live kind of um, I live in a place called Grays, which kind of is oh, quite yeah. grey um and miserable, and yeah, it's kind of I'd say probably in between London and Southend. And uh, yeah, I've actually lived there all my life. It's uh, it's kind of it's close enough to London, but annoyingly far enough away that the last train home still like half eleven. You know, you can't go, you can't really go and enjoy yourself in London anymore. You still got to get that kind of last train home. So,
0: was that sort of I get that about lots of towns. I think Southend and sort of like that kind of part of Essex has that a lot, where people kind of create their own things in those areas and there's a few like and doing stand-up you go to various different towns and some feel like they've got a real sort of scene of things going on and people that uh, and it tends to be like from grassroots like small bands that put on shows themselves or find these venues that they can put shows on and I get that yeah like South End and sort of parts of Parts of Essex have these like clubs you play where it feels like there is a grassroots thing, whereas other towns in in the UK are almost, you get off the train and you're on the high street and they all look the same. But there's certain towns and places that have something going on. And I think that comes from that, right? There's certain places that seem to have people in it that create their own stuff or want to create their own stuff. And I wonder if that's because you're so close to London but you can't stay out late. That you want that in your in your town.
3: Probably you, you, you're probably right. And and bizarrely, I, I set my podcast up to ask that very question. That the podcast that, that that Nick guested on um, was initially sort of set up and it, being called off the beaten track. Like I was just fascinated by a conversation I had with Screvious Pip, who lives sort of five minutes from Grays in a place called Stanford Le Hope. Um, how he'd never moved to London because it's the done thing when you're an aspiring actor, comedian, musician, that you, you know, you move to London and he was like, Oh no, I I didn't really fancy that. Whereas I look at the other acts from from, that come out at the same time as Pip in South End, like the horrors and these new Puritans and uh, get Kate where Kate fly. They all moved to London. Uh, And, and, and I just found that really interesting why there was that kind of why you felt like you couldn't do it in your own hometown. And that's what kind of led me to to want to know about how your hometown kind of defines you and and, and how it, you know, can can limit creativity or it can, you know, open up creativity. And I, and I think what you just said, um, uh, Nathaniel, is that, that, that I think sometimes people just think, well, oh, if I can't get the last train home, I'm just going to create something. And them aforementioned bands, these new Puritans, uh, the Horrors, uh, there was a band called Ipso Facto that come out of that scene. They created this thing called Junk Club um, at the venue where where me and um, uh, our friend Ollie put a night on. And they just create this amazing night that, that just made no sense. It was really like, everybody looked like kind of theatrical kind of, it was really gothy, it was really dark and they were playing like post-punk, but it was just really crazy and it made no sense but it just created this amazing scene and just pushed all of these bands out of it that have then gone on to create some amazing things. So I do think there's little kind of tans on the peripheries of London that that does create that kind of scene, 100%. Because
0: also I think here,
3: when you're talking about you're like an
0: indie DJ, but I don't think you really get those clubs in London. I've sort of lived in London all my life, but it feels like when people talk about themselves growing up and they've got these little clubs that they go to, which plays the music that they like and it's not things outside the mainstream. It's almost like London doesn't really have that because it's too big. And it's like it's almost it's got no um, it hasn't got the focus. So it doesn't have its own small venue where it has an alternative, like you can play alternative music or something because it's sort of too big. It's sort of too disparate. And I think this can happen in smaller towns in a way that's easier to happen than it would be in a huge city like London.
3: Definitely. But, but I also think in, in general, like your, your indie and your rock clubs, they're disappearing. Like, you know, that, them, there seemed to be like indie nights everywhere when I was growing up. And, and, you know, I don't know if that was the case in your your student days and or clubbing years, like they just seem to be loads. And now nah, it's really weird. I'm, I might have even sort of touched on this when, when Nick came on the podcast that, there used to be quite... You could see, like, youth cultures would wear their colours on their sleeves. You could see the indie kids, you know, you could see the goth, you know, you could see the grunge kids, and and you can't really see that anymore. There's kind of like this uniform top shop window now where everybody likes a bit of everything, aside from metallers. Metallers are still diehard. They wear their colours. But, um, but it, it does feel like everybody... Just kind of maybe that's to do with streaming and the accessibility of music now, like where everyone. Oh, yeah, I like that. That's all right. I like a bit of that. I like a bit of that where it's it feels. I hope it's just because I'm 47 and so out of touch. It feels like it's not that tribal anymore.
0: No, it doesn't. I'm sure. Yeah. it sort of part of me thinks it must be. And maybe it's right that I'm I'm 41. Maybe it's right. I don't know about it. Yeah. I'll find out about it when there's a documentary in 10 years <laughs> time. I'll go, oh, all right, okay. I had no idea right, that man.
1: happened. And so well, I'm, I'm 39, so I'm kind of like got my finger a little bit more on the pulse than you right, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um And I haven't really noticed that much. I did know, I, I did notice that there was like, you know, being in London, I did always sort of like feel, where's where's my pub? You know, where's, where's mm-hmm. the place that I go that plays the sort of music I like? And then there are sort of like... There are sort of places that I found. There was like um, I used to really love going to Slim Gyms on Upper Street, which just played sort of like like proper like rock music, uh, but like not not modern rock music. It was kind of like 70s and 80s stuff, and I, and I really loved that. And there was another place um, on Holloway Road called uh, Big Red, which was sort of like a more commercial version of. Um, Slim Jims, and then Slim Jims is like a sister of Aces and Eights, which is walking distance. So the were places that I eventually found that I felt like, oh, this is, this is, this is where I feel I belong. But then it's, it, you get, you, you sort of like feel like you can never get a table in those places because people are there ironically, and it's kind of a bit touristy, and it's kind of like you go, oh, sure. But this is actually what I, you. My point is like, for me to go into a pub where they play Alice Cooper just because that that's what they're playing. And it's not poison. Do you know what I mean? It, you kind of like go, oh, right, well, this is, this is my sort of venue. But it took me ages to sort of like find somewhere that I felt was sort of like represented me. Because, you know, you normally know O'Neill's when you, we were growing up and they'd play like, you know, Wenger Boys and Steps. And it'd be like, just, oh, God, this isn't, oh. isn't for me.
3: I always wanted to find a pub that i that I mean, music aside, I always just wanted that pub like like in cheers, like where you could walk in on your own and like and you'd be all right. I've never had that. I've never gone in a pub on my own and like and had a conversation with the barman and like and then struck up a random conversation with someone else at a stall.
1: Oh really? Because I, yeah. I, I used to work in pubs and that's exactly the sort of environment that we had. And you'd see people that were, um, you'd it's, see it's people that were walking down the street towards the pub and they'd be like Carlsberg Top and so you'd get it ready for them so that when they got in you'd just put it on the side and they'd say, oh, thank you very much. And uh, and yeah, and, and uh, I was in one pub called The Glass House, which was kind of like, it was just sort of a weird um, sports bar, but... Um, uh, but they liked me because they always used to play rugby and I never used to watch it because I didn't give I I don't like sports. so I could work throughout all of the would be the other bar, t- bar staff would be watching the game and yeah. I'd be there doing like eight Guinnesses there you go <laughs> and, um, um, uh, so I think they liked me there but yeah I always sort of like got to know the, the stuff and I really loved that as like a place of community it was but it, it was sort of like a double edged because you know I loved seeing them and I loved getting their drinks ready and, you know, making them feel special. Like, oh, you remembered my drink, you know. But um, well, on the flip side of that is he came in every fucking day and it was a bit bleak.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, the flip but, side of that is the bloke who comes in with his Carlsberg top and he's too nervous to say, I only wanted it once. I, I just wanted it <laughs> <laughs> it was just sunny out that day <laughs> I top because I was quite thirsty and I wanted something a bit easy yeah and I have to have it every day whenever I go to the pub and the guys always poured it for me and all I want's a Guinness but I can't ask for a Guinness because when, when I was when I was little
1: um we went at my grandma's house and she made a roast chicken and one of the nicest things in the world is like crispy chicken skin when it's hot mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I love chicken skin. And then um, the next day, when it was cold, they like put me like a plate of cold chicken skin. And you have to go, well, not, not like this, obviously. This is, but you know, you're you're too young, so you end up just having to eat a plate of cold chicken skin. Yeah, maybe maybe I should have been a bit more thoughtful towards the <laughs> right, Nathaniel. I realise in hindsight yeah. I've been a massive cunt. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry.
3: Oh. You're, in your, you're in your own pub, though, Stu. I am. I am. See, this is it. If I want a Carlsberg top, I can be... It's not the same, though. Honestly, like, since lockdown and the pub's all shut, like, it's... You, you'd think it'd be great. It was like, well, I could just go down my own pub and 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 have a pint. But it's no fun, is it, sitting on your own having a pint?
1: Yeah, I love it. I love it (laughs) and it's not it's not always a pint of beer Um, it's um, (laughs) one of the things I went out the other day for lockdown Uh, I went out the other day we sat in a pub garden and uh, you know they kept getting our table mixed up with another table and every time we ordered a drink it would take half an hour and eventually they brought us the bill and it was like 280 quid and it's just like what and then there was a bunch of stuff on there that we didn't order and then everyone was like like chipping in and sort of like and i was just like no 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 it's fine i'll just say that we've got the wrong bill right and everyone else started like arguing and they were like going Oh, um, it says here I've had nine pints, but I've only had seven. And it's just kind of like, you're not making it sound better. Do yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so just shut up, all right? And then I was just thinking, oh, it's so much nicer when you're on your own <laughs> in, in your flat. Uh, and you can just serve yourself. It's brilliant. But you've built, um, you've built a, a pub in your shed at the bottom of your garden, right? Well
3: um I mean I didn't build it um because I can't build stuff I'm not that guy you know but what That's this was went a brick backdrop so we
0: assume you've got your HUD out and you've uh, you've got all your bricks out and you've actually built but all it is is just wallpaper brick yeah. wallpaper
3: 299 a row out the range um and this was a workshop what the fuck am I going to do in a workshop it's like <laughs> I, I wouldn't know where to start it's like uh, yeah uh, it was just a complete waste of time. So I just thought, right, what can I, what can I do here? And I just always liked the pun having something called the whiff in. Uh, and so I was like, right, well, I'm just going to put a little bar in here and yeah. And it's, it's actually like, it's nice. I kind of recalled lots of podcasts <laughs> and stuff in here and, and it's literally then turned into an office for the last five months. So yeah, it's, uh, it's all right, but yeah, it's nice. It's nice to have people over and and fundamentally I don't have to listen to anyone else's music. I can I can control the music. Uh, I haven't got to get a cab home, uh, and I also don't have to have any pricks in here. So it's it's quite it's quite nice. So I can kind of police my own bar, soundtrack, and walk home. Is that, it, is home.
1: that, is that a, a polite way of you telling me and Nathaniel that we're not invited?
3: <laughs> you boys are welcome whenever, of course. Sure, sure.
0: Um, yeah, it uh, does look like you. It looks like you're such a professional at the podcasting that you've kind of created this little studio you've got your brick backdrop you've got your mic in front of you and it makes me and nick feel a bit like we're not really putting putting the hours in here
3: well if i was to break down the backgrounds that i'm looking at nathaniel you're not saying too much really a door uh and and a wall um nick's i mean i'm fascinated like there is a whole world of stuff that i I, i'd love to have a little nose through there there looks like there's some amazing stuff there
1: Yes, I'm a hoarder. Yeah, I'm a very organised hoarder, but um, yeah, mine's more carefully angled. But... Sure. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. But um, yeah, mine is a is a is a room where if I tidy it, it looks perfect, and if I put one thing out of place, the whole place looks like a shithole. So it's like it's just it's it takes a lot of of, of maintenance. And it's actually, um, I've, I've built myself a, um, a prison. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I've got so much stuff that my stuff owns me. Uh, and that's what everyone always comes, anyone that always comes over, they go, fuck, you know, you've got a lot of stuff. And it's like, it's not, it's not a compliment. It's, it's basically uh, a mental disorder that's on your walls. It's, it's, it's difficult, but it's fine. It's Stuff's fine. great though, isn't it? I love stuff. I do love stuff. You've bought some stuff with you,
3: in fact. I have bought some stuff. I've got a room behind here that's full of my stuff. Like, right. I have these kind of arguments with my wife where she's like, um, why are you buying records? Haven't you got enough? And it's like, we it don't work like that. You know, it's not like I've now got X amount of records I don't need anymore. It's like, I like records, so I'm going to buy some more. And it's like, I, want, I like books. I like, you know, and so it's like, and I kind of like, I like weird little toys and stuff. And it's like, if you can have them, They're nice to look at as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) (laughs) it's not. It gets worse. It gets worse. (laughs) I've got another one on the other side. Fucking (laughs) Um, for the the listeners at home, I I I have two ornamental cowgirls either side of my uh, my desktop. Right. There you go. So um, uh, we don't. We, do you know what? We never normally get round to this, but seeing as you've uh, you've made the effort, I think we should uh, dig into it. So this is this show is called. For all long time listeners, maybe we should remind you that the whole point of the show is that we get people on to talk about what they're a fan of. I don't think we've done that in uh, maybe uh, 80 episodes. No. <laughs> this is our hundred and second episode.
0: Sometimes <laughs> yeah. we remember that we were meant to do a show, but usually it, it just ends up in chat. Um, but go, let, let, let's do this. Let's do a proper show
1: and tell. Okay. What what so, so, what have you bought? You've bought a record. You've
3: bought a book. And you've uh, got a VHS video. Um, uh, it's it said on your bio link that you like the little wobblehead things. Yeah. I've got a little Donald Trump one there. That, uh, that my daughter went to New York and went. You keep talking about Donald Trump, so I've bought you one of them.
1: Oh, is that that because you're a fan of Donald Trump?
3: No. (laughs) Uh, Okay. uh, Okay. This
1: is the first time we actually bother asking him, what are you a fan of, (laughs) Stu?
0: And you go, (laughs) Donald Trump. Trump. (laughs) And you go,
1: ah. Oh, that's a shame. (laughs) Before we find out
0: what's next. (laughs) That's a
3: shame. Um, Nasty memorabilia. So, um,. I've also got the first record I ever bought, um, which is uh, the first ever. Now that's what I call music uh, record.
0: And is that your actual copy from when you bought it as yes. a kid?
3: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it's got some cracking tunes on it. And uh, and yeah, I just I I was lucky enough to actually interview the guy that set that up, that that, that launched, the now that's what I call music thing. And uh, and it. He, he, was, he was quite a, a kind of mad kind of character that, that worked in a record shop, a Virgin record shop in the 70s. Uh, and the Buzzcocks come into his store uh, where they were selling the the, the 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 Spiral Scratch EP and said, "Oh, we've 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 run out. Like we need to get some more pressed." So he went into the the, the 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 safe, took some money out from the Virgin we want a megastore store then I suppose paid for another repressing which was obviously totally illegal but Branson found out and just thought it was quite a maverick strike and was like I like this and then this guy ended up becoming his right hand man for uh, the whole of Virgin Records and yeah and he, he basically at the time all the compilation albums were label specific so you could never get a definitive greatest hits that had other stuff right. from other albums and so Now was the first one where we cut deals with all the major labels and put out the Now That's Why I Call Music thing that obviously just become mm. ingrained in our, in our Christmas presents and stuff. Before that,
0: you had all those like Top of the Pops albums, didn't you? Which are all like re-recordings and things, Yeah. You know? yeah. all those weird things. You wouldn't even get the, the proper song, just, you know, a session musicians trying to do their version of them.
3: Every time I try and do that cool crate digging thing, where like you go through charity shops and boot sales, all you ever see is them retro Top of the Pops albums with like a bikini-clad lady on the cover. That's it. Never, and I used to love
1: those albums. I used to love them. <laughs> um, I've got, I'm pretty sure I've got some. Um, yeah, I, many times I prefer the uh, the session musicians <laughs> to the originals. Um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know what you've got a problem with it. What word now, though? What was it? It was like... Um,
3: the the number ones of the year or oh just a kind of a, a big oh i can tell you exactly what it is it's a double album of 30 great tracks including 11 number ones
1: right okay so um, it's like
0: essentially it's an album which is just hit records i mean yeah. it, it was a license to print money and it yeah. did. they made yeah. like those record companies or i guess virgin records at the time probably made absolute billions often didn't they they were just oh, so mad awesome. yeah but I think I, I
1: think I think I think we had some of the first like now ones, but it didn't look like that. What should hold your one up again? Would you? It's um, I think I remember one where there was sort of like a cartoon of a pig that was leaning over
3: a fence. Yep. So.
1: Is that it? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> right, that's what we had. We had it on tape. We had. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, wow, that's so amazing. And I actually <laughs> I actually remembered what it looked like. Yeah, right, okay. So we had that on tape, and then we had, like, Now We're Loving and stuff like that. But um, uh, would you say that that is... Uh, do you have a lot of uh, nostalgic, um, fond memories for that specific album?
3: 110%. If I hear any track of that, off of that, on the radio, I know what track I'm expecting to hear next. No, like when you had the mixtapes when you was a kid that you listened to... And when you hear a song, you just expect the next song to be yeah, that yeah, song yeah. from there. That I still get that from there.
1: Yeah, I had um, the best of Doctor Hook on um, on tape, and um, just every single song in th- those orders just all made sense. And I would listen to it while I was cooking, and you know you you, you know you get those tape decks that automatically play the second side, so you don't have to t- change it round. And it was like that and. Um, and then I upgraded to CD and I never listened to the CDs because they've got more songs. I think there was like there was like 20, 20 songs on the tape and then you get like 20 songs per disc on the three disc set. But I never listened to them because the running order was always so jarring that it wasn't actually what I wanted out of it. I just wanted those 20 songs in that order. Uh, it's weird when you get used to stuff like that.
3: I'll tell you what's, what's quite um, good about CDs that. Streaming's definitely killed. And uh, the hidden track. Yeah. Uh, when you just like press play and just leave it running, and then like, after 20 minutes, some weird kind of racket would just kick in. It's getting and, the shit out of you. Yeah. And like yeah. you're never going to get that on Spotify, are you?
1: No. Um, yeah, that is, that is a shame. But it's also sort of like um, like VHS, though, as well. When, um, you know, we had, I think we had Ferris Bueller's Day Off, uh, that we recorded off telly and Muppets Take Manhattan and those two films go together for me where you go uh, yeah, you watch Fresh Bueller's Day Off and then there's some static and then Muppets Take Manhattan uh, comes on and those films are, are joined together and that's kind of like it's well, I mean, we were talking to um, uh, who were we talking to? Oh, who were we scary. talking to? Last week? A, a couple of weeks ago? Samantha Morton oh yeah yeah about um, about acting on film and you've got expensive film that's going through a camera, and uh, you don't have infinite takes because of digital, so you can't go over and over and over again, so you 've got to get this performance on film in like three goes, right less if you can right, and so the format that you're actually using in order to capture that performance actually has an impact on the way it's created. And it's kind of like old technology. It's kind of like, um, it's not just the fact that Ferris Bueller's Day Off is uh, a good film that I enjoy. It is the fact that the format that it was recorded on has an impact on how I enjoy watching it. And you get that with vinyl and you get that with, uh, tape, and not to sound like a fucking, you know, 90-year-old, uh, but do you know what I mean? The format that that stuff came on, VHS, tapes, records, has a direct impact on how you absorb that uh, that media. And it's weird that it's kind of like, there is a nostalgia to it, but also in many ways, it, it, it's not as good when you can just sort of like uh, press a button and just and
3: get And speak VHS, easy. have
0: you got a VHS there, Stu?
3: i have
0: i see this it is oh the Wanderers.
3: yeah this this is a film uh and and it's come from that can you see that the okay. video collection that was oh, some kind yeah. of weird thing that used to kind of reissue old films on vhs but
0: um were a bit cheaper right that was almost like it was like a sort of affordable label i think i think they were about 9.99 or something weren't they?
3: this was 9.99 from asda Um, I probably bought this in about 1988, I reckon. Aviva, have you seen The Wanderers?
0: No, I've never seen it. But it's one of those ones that I always want to see. It's like um, The Outsiders are one of those, isn't it? Sort of same era.
3: It it, it is. It kind of come from that era when there was lots of kind of like Bronx gang films and stuff like that. Um, And I I think... When was it made? 79, 80, I think. Um, 79. And... um, Price. is it like a richard price book or, or... it is a richard price book yeah um, what is
1: it what, what, so what is it Go, just for, for someone that doesn't know anything about it tell me what it is
3: uh it's an italian gang called the wanderers uh and 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 basically it's about them um at college and and it all culminating in there's gangs throughout the whole college there's the board the baldies which is uh, you guys seen stir crazy yeah so yep. the Baldies is is headed by um, Grossberger from uh, oh, Stur right. Crazy, and uh, and you've got yeah you've got loads of different gangs and it's like but it's not like the Warriors. Whereas the Warriors is really kind of gritty and quite horrible. The Wanderers is just all do what music. It's the soundtrack's amazing. It's got Karen Allen from Race Lost Ark, and uh, she plays the female lead in it. Um, and it's just super cool. It's just like there's loads of like really cool dance kind of like moments at house parties and there's really cool kind of like it all culminates in a big game of American football that turns into all of the gangs all arriving in this massive field and having this huge, huge fight. But there's actually really nice undercurrent of stories as well, which is the kind of you know, which is what Richard Price was good at. Um yeah, I can't recommend it enough. I absolutely adore this film. We talked
0: about this last week, this sort of 70s 80s and i think it was actually on your the podcast you were talking about with nick on uh where on off the beaten uh, beaten track podcast we're talking about that 50s revival in the 70s and 80s yeah
1: yeah 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 well it's Uh, generational yeah Mm. So, so in the 80s everyone that grew up in the 50s is making films. So then you get stuff like Back to the Future and Peggy Sue Got Married because they're all nostalgic for their childhood. So they're making films about their childhood. And then you kind of like get it where, you know, It, the original Tim Curry, It, that's them growing up in the 50s. And then 30 years later, when they do the remake, it's all set in the 80s. And then you've got Stranger Things. Everyone's kind of like making stuff about the 80s. It's kind of like, it's weird because people now have the same nostalgia for the 80s that in the 80s they had for the 50s. Yes. Oh, God, that makes us old. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's when you work out how, how long ago the Beatles split up, and you go, fucking hell, when I was born, they have been split up for nine or ten years. And now it's, like, 50 years, and you go, fucking hell. Oh, God. Anyway, sure. Would you say that The Wonders is one of your favourite films, then?
3: 100%. 100%. Um yeah, I, I, um, I think I did. I, I done a, a podcast called Films to Be Buried With, um, and that was that was my number one. Really, your number was, one. Yeah, I love uh,
1: this film. Why is it Why is it 18?
3: Um, there's there's some kind of uh, I don't know if there's really sex scenes in it. There's lots of kind of violence in it. There's lots of I guess lots of bad language in it, which probably the way they maybe done the certificates back then, maybe slightly different to now. I don't know. Um, but yeah, there's nothing particularly sort of, not that I can recall anything. I mean, that's a lie. They actually, um, they get two of the members from the gangs, tie um, rocks to bits of string and then tie the other bits of string to their knobs and throw the bricks off of a, a bridge. <laughs> oh. Oh. Don't worry. The string's too long.
1: Okay. Oh, <laughs> it's the fear. The fear. It's the fear. No. The- That'll put the willies up. Because I really love The Warriors. I think The Warriors is one of, um, is one of my favourite... Uh, would I say it's one of my favourite films? I think it's one of the coolest films. I really, really love that film. Um, and um, it's sort of also... Because Karen Allen's also in Animal House.
3: Yes. And that's all... And that's like... a few porky, Porky's as well. I don't think... She... No, that's Cattrall. That's Kim Cattrall. I always, I always confuse them. Right, Kim Cattrall. Uh Yeah, Kim Cattrall. I mean, it's weird
1: how many great... I'm not saying Porky's is a great movie. i <laughs> never no. uh, no, no like... said that. But she's great in um, Police Academy and Big Trouble in Little China. Um, I think Mannequin is probably a film that has aged pretty bad. Oh, I've offended him. Not a Police Academy <laughs> fan. <laughs> um he's he's gone too far this time. Right? time. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, so what is that that we're looking at? Is that a framed picture?
3: Yeah, it's a framed picture of um, the the original Police Academy um poster from the first ever film, which I'm. What's
1: weird
0: is when you've got it in a framed photograph, it looks like you were in the the actual Police Academy in yeah. that year. That's when you graduated.
3: Imagine that. imagine that oh my god um can i can i tell you something that happened to me the other day like everybody's uh, like talking about these kind of cameo things where celebrities record messages for you and I, i hadn't heard about it but um about six weeks ago Someone knew just how much I loved Police Academy, and I just got sent a video from Mahoney, Steve yeah. uh telling me that he was in his car listening to Off the Main Track podcast. I
1: saw that. I saw. I saw yeah. that. And do you know what? I was fucking jealous. I was so jealous. <laughs> um, in lockdown, well, I've got I've got quite a lot to say about this actually. That, that, that picture that you've got framed, that's a that's a Drew Struzan, uh Piece of artwork, and he famously did uh, the Back to the Future uh, uh, poster, and he did like um, the Welcome to my Welcome to my Nightmare front cover. And he did Indiana Jones. He did like loads of um, loads of Spielberg stuff, um, and uh, Star Wars and all that. And so, so, uh, so he's like this amazing poster artist who also did Police Academy, um, and I watched all of the Police Academy films. At the beginning of lockdown in one day, um, I did, five, did I do five. I did four on one day, which was the Steve Gutenberg set. They feel like an entire. Quadrilogy. Yeah, they feel like an entire series, those four. And then I did the other three, which are a bit bitty, where they're trying to work out what they're doing in five without Steve Gutenberg. And then six is like, right, well, it didn't work without Steve Gutenberg, so we'll cut down the budget. And then seven was like, Five years later, they've gone. Uh, the Russians were like, do you know what we really love? Police Academy. <laughs> so they gave, the, they gave Police Academy permission to film, like, the first Western, either the first Western comedy or the first Western movie within Russia uh, after the Cold War, and it was Police Academy 7, and you go, like, fucking hell. But those films, I think... Those first four films, the Steve Gutenberg ones are great. And then I re- went and rewatched Cocoon, because I was just like, I watched Three Men and a Baby, Three Men and a Little Lady, and then I watched Cocoon, and I was just like, Why? Uh, Steve Gutenberg doesn't get the
3: respect that he, fucking, that he fucking deserves. 100%. 100%. Mahoney, in the first Police Academy film, one of the coolest people ever. When he walks out with that cropped T-shirt... Yeah, burn
1: in the oven. Burn in the oven, so cool. Um, But also, people completely underestimate that that Mahoney character uh, has great potential to be completely smug and unlikable, and he makes him... Totally likeable. And he also sort of like bring, he's, like, he's sort of like the glue that holds that entire cast together. Because yeah. when he's not in Police Academy 5 and Jonesy is doing like the emoting and the exposition, you're just like, fucking hell, get him away. Get him away from the script because no one else can manage to do. Like what Steve Gutenberg does in those, I mean, it's sad, isn't it? But what Steve Gutenberg does in those films, right? Is it's like a balancing act where he just sort of like, he nails it so perfectly. Like, he's the reason why those films were successful, really.
3: hundred percent. I
1: love him. You're <laughs> so lucky. Can't <laughs> believe he missed you. Was it a happy birthday, was it? Or is it just that he was listening to your podcast?
3: He was just listening, yeah. It was just like, my mate must have messaged him as, like, you know, paid whatever it was. But I didn't know all of this. I was just blown away. Just thinking, oh, he actually was just, like, he's into my podcast. But that was one of them cameo things. But I was blown away all the less. Like, I just thought it was amazing. It's like, I never... If you would have told, like an 11 year old me that was desperately sort of trying to do the Jones noises at school that one day Mahoney would send me a message. Never in a million years would I believe you.
1: That's so cool. Have you got anything else to show us?
3: Well, yeah, I have. I've, I've, so I was just trying to think of the things that, that, that I was fans of like, um, and I was a massive, like, obviously like growing up in the eighties, like, I would, I would go and buy like a quarter of sweets from a sweet shop. And, uh, and I'd always get, aniseed twists or like cough candies so um i bought some cough candies or aniseed twists uh and i ate one last night and then i had an allergic reaction and i've now realized that i can no longer eat the, the sweets that uh, i used to scoff as a kid like all these little kind of like little blisters come up on my hands which was really kind of fucking strange and I was just thinking, why has this happened? And then I just what thought...
0: A what a beautiful metaphor for growing up and getting older. <laughs> <laughs> You're allergic from the the thing that brought you pleasure as a child. I mean, it's yeah. tragic as well. Yeah. But it also shows that you are, you've are you grown up. It's your yeah. This is like your coming of age film, but yeah. not a good one. Like, if it's just about eating sweets, he's like, I've got an allergic reaction. That's sort of beautiful. Just We're all grown up. There, We're right? all grown up, Stu.
3: So... And i've got one last item um which is which is this so this is um me and um a, a drawing that cunt done from uh cunt and the gang uh, of me and him every saturday we used to walk to our, our, our local town center and, and and buy records and just hang around in the shops but there was a little hardware shop um on the way into Graystown center uh, and it was actually called the house of essex and it sold We had this kind of idea that it seemed to sell the Star Wars toys that no one else sold. Right. And before anyone had got it, we walked in and there he was Zuckus. And I remember to this day, like, um, cunt saying at the top of his, he he refers to me as Roy. He was like, fuck my luck, Roy. Look, it's Zuckus. And, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and we 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 but I mean that would have been about one pound fifty so that was generally like you know a couple of weeks pocket money back then and yeah we we didn't go into town but we went straight home because we both purchased suckers and so yeah on my 40th earfe- I think
0: that's <laughs> true I remember getting like well at the time they were Return of the Jedi toys but these would probably be like the film would been out a couple of years then and you would get like in most like major stores you would get you'd have the main characters but I always wanted the other one and you don't you'd only really find these sort of your characters like that at like markets and things and yeah. they wouldn't be knockoff they'd be like they might have been nicked but they were official merchandise. <laughs> it was almost like no one else wanted them
3: absolutely that's
0: what i was after i wanted like i wanted sort of you know what's he called the bloke with uh the bloke who's in america well, for london with uh who's in Jabba's palace with all his um
3: bib fortuna
0: bib fortuna exactly well done as a fan <laughs>
3: <laughs> who's, who's suckers um he was like a, a bounty hunter in in empire i right, believe Kirk. yeah right
1: yeah that's where i've seen him then he's standing next to what's the what's the lizard looking one
3: bosch is it bosk oh, Bosch.
1: Yes.
3: yeah right yeah so right, uh, I'm not. A, a, a weird little story uh Regarding Star Wars and 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 Cunt and the gang, uh, we we we're literally just starting a podcast this week um, called Time Bandits because we've realised in September this year we've been best friends for forty years, so we're going to do a monthly podcast talking about what happened forty years ago that month and uh, and what it's kind of uh, kicked off. But oh my god, that's <laughs> incredible! That's great. A great idea, great idea. Um. And so uh, when we first met, my mate's dad was the key grip. Um, his name was Kenny Atherfold. And you, if you, you, you Google him, he's like, he basically was the key grip on Star Wars Empire, Flash Gordon, uh, which actually come out 40 years ago this September. Um,
1: who, who's this? Who,
3: he's who, my mate's dad. Uh, and, dad? And, yeah. And he basically worked on, yeah, all the Raiders films. And, and to this day, he still does like, Bond and done all the Lord of the Rings and all that. But, um, his son got like, moved to our school, and I had to hang around with him because he was like the new kid, and they said, "Oh we you, you know will you look after him so I was like, "Yep, no worries and uh, but his dad was never there, but he had, like, a drum kit and a motorbike and a go-kart, and I was like, wow, well, like, this kid's pretty cool. And obviously it was because his dad was always on location filming his films. So we used to play guns, and this is not a lie, I promise you, with the guns and the swords they used in Flash Gordon. And he had a pair of the wingmen's wings, and they were, like, foam spray-painted gold. And yeah. so he had them at home. So not content at kind of showing off to, like, my mates that – that was the stuff I'd done. When I met Cunt, I told him that because of this, I was a Jawa, and my dad played 2-1-B medical droid in uh, Empire Strikes Back, um, <laughs> which was a completely pointless lie, and I don't know if I was just craving attention or not. It's not a
0: pointless lie, because it's also so good, because it's sort of believable, and yep. it can't prove you wrong. Yeah. You can't yep. see it.
3: It could, yep. it like, could be. That's the key oh, to good yeah. lies, isn't it? Like Scroobius Pip told me he was on fun ask, and I was like, "You're joking!" And he was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Why would you ever question that?
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tell us about Pod Bible Magazine. Is this like a so it's like a physical? It's physical media, right? It's um it exists yeah. in your hands. It's not it's not a magazine. It's not
3: digital. Have it's you did- both. It's both. Yeah. Do do both? Um. Yeah. It was just um. It, it was something that you know with, with with the podcast I just there weren't an enemy or a melody maker and sort of just trying to find somewhere to to sort of help grow and shout about your podcast there wasn't anything so I'd kind of messed around with fanzines and stuff growing up and then I just said to to, to Pip I was like look I'm gonna start a little magazine I think about podcasts and he was like oh, that's a good idea I'll, I'll do it with you if you want so it always helps you know when you got a little bit of, sort of podcast royalty that that wants to kind of jump in so yeah we we kind of launched it uh february of last year um and then just literally started off doing sort of 5000 every other month and me and pip would stand outside the train stations and tube stations handing them out um and then sort of fast forward um to 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 the end of last year we 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 cut a little deal with the, the the sunday times and we've upped it now to Forty-five thousand, and they go out inside the Sunday Times now, and it's just a little kind of magazine shouting about great podcasts, and you know, like a platform to to kind of small podcasts that are trying to kind of get heard, and you know, and we've been lucky that we've managed to get some really good interviews with you know Stephen Fry and and, and Ramesh and Buxton, and you know, lots of the kind of big big podcast heavyweights. So it's, it's been a lot of fun, and yeah, we're kind of.
0: It's hard to think of, isn't it? Because it feels like print media feels like... But 45,000 seems huge in those numbers now, right? That's like... For anything... You sort of read about papers and magazines going under every month. And it feels like they're not selling 45,000, are they? Or...
3: No, I mean, it's really weird because I mentioned the NME earlier and it was like when you start looking at like the stats of like the NME in the 90s to like, you know, into the 2000s, like the drop-off was ridiculous, you know, to the point where as it was sort of reaching the point where it all just went digital, you know, the the print was so small. But, you know, they're all things we thought about. But apparently, you know, and it it appears to be the case like niche publications are still popular. And and at the moment, you know, to, to our knowledge, we're the only podcast magazine in existence in the uk um and it, it you know we, we we did see le pod which uh, was a french version that they'd literally copied <laughs> us page for page and released it in france which is quite weird um but um but yeah it's like it's been almost it's been- like
0: a pirate version of it or just like a rip-off
3: a complete identical version like that 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 literally all the all the different sort of topics on each page were all the same all the layout was the same but just yeah different content but in french right.
1: i imagine that um that at the moment having something that's sort of directing people in the right direction towards podcasts is more relevant than ever because basically people are just making podcasts during lockdown I know that that doing this is sort of like being a bit of a lifeline for me and uh, Nathaniel to, like, give us something regular to do and to kind of... Because we didn't do it at first. When lockdown first came in, we stopped for a couple of weeks. And then as soon as we started doing it again, it gave us sort of like a real structure to the week. And I think, you know, getting... As as performers, getting kind of like your voice out there and still being able to communicate with some sort of fan base... It's kind of like it's been really important and, you know, podcasts
3: are great for that. It's, it's, it's kept me saying podcasting. It's like it's been the one thing in lockdown that's kind of kept that kind of connection with, 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 with people going. Just like doing off the beaten track and stuff's just been an absolute lifeline. Just throwing myself into it and just because what has also been a kind of a positive in a very grotty situation is the fact that lots of creative people, are sitting indoors with nothing to do and so you know where whereas people generally wouldn't be you know as as, as kind as what you was nick to, to come into like my little studio and chat with me there but now you can just you know go look do you want to jump on zoom for an hour and talk about records and and it's been really nice that that people have been up for doing that so yeah
1: yeah well, good. Well done, everyone, we've done it. <laughs> um, right, we've got to wrap up now. Uh, so, Stu, uh, we've got time to play a game with Nathaniel. Uh, Nathaniel, take it away, explain the game. Okay, this game, Stu, is called Better or Worse, and you have to say
0: whether the next person is better or worse than the person before, and to score points, it's based entirely on my opinion. Okay. Starting with Brian May, Queen. Brian Wilson, better or worse than Brian May. Way better. Yeah, correct. Luke Wilson, better or worse than Brian
3: Wilson.
0: Uh. He's worse, but only because he's a high card. Two high cards. Owen Wilson, better or worse than Luke Wilson. Better. 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 Both high cards. Rebel Wilson, better or worse than Owen Wilson. Worse. Better. Worse, I'm
3: afraid. Really? Yeah. Love
0: Owen (laughs) Wilson. Daryl Hannah.
3: Daryl Hannah, better or worse than Rebel Wilson. Oh, way better. Splash, right?
0: Kirsten Dunst, better or worse than Daryl Hannah. Worse. Worse. Uma Thurman, better or worse than Kirsten Dunst.
3: Better. Better.
0: Natalie Portman, better or worse than Uma Thurman. Better.
3: Yeah, I'm going to go better.
0: Worse.
1: Worse! <laughs> we were Was in Batman and Robin! Fucking hell, Nathaniel! That doesn't count, does it? It's a whole career. You fucking <laughs> lose points for Batman and Robin, mate. No, no, no,
0: no, no. Nicholas Cage, better or worse than Natalie Portman. you way better. Better. Nick Norton, better or worse than
3: Matty Portman.
1: Worse!
3: Oh, down and out in Beverly Hills. He's oh. not a
1: high card. He's done two good things. <laughs> including three fugitives. So, come on. He's got to be worse. He is worse, but I'd say he's a high card. Oh, fuck off, is he a high card? He oh, he a high card. card. He's not Fucking... High card. It's an eight. It's an eight. You got eight, right? Well, fantastic. So, Stu, you scored an eight... Uh, Which means that you're not as good as Jen Brister, Jason Manford, Joey Scaldani with 10, Ken Cheng, Harry Hill, Luke Morley with 9. But you are as good as as Magical Bones, Samantha Morton, Chris Stark, Susie Dent with 8. Uh, and you are better than James King, Henry Normal, and Johnny Vegas with seven. So, welcome thank to the God club. Uh, we've actually got no time whatsoever. So thank you so much for coming on, Thanks a fellas. to talk to you. I've been yeah. This has been... No, you're back back back. Back. Oh, for fuck's sake! And you've been listening to Fan Thanks for listening. Take care. Write in. Tell us what you're fans of, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you very much.